Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. All right, we're continuing in our series called The Gift, and um, this is a, a great series, and, I, and I've been enjoying it. I hope you've been enjoying it. I want to begin this, though, with a story, and this is the story of a great man and his wife. Are y'all ready for this story? It's a story about Boudreaux and Marais. Boudreaux and Marais were having a rough time at Christmas, and I'll tell you why in a moment. But Boudreaux calls Boudreaux Jr. and he says, Boudreaux Jr., I am done with my reign. This relationship's over. We're getting a divorce. Boudreaux Jr. said, Dad, I thought y'all seemed so happy. What happened? He said, I just can't take it no more. I hid it from you. And he said, I'm done. So he says, Dad, can I do anything to help? He said, just call your sister and tell her. So Boudreaux Jr. calls his sister and he says, something's going on with, with, with Boudreaux and, and Marais. Something's going wrong with our parents. We need, we need to do something about it. She said, what do you think? Boudreaux Jr. said, well, let's, let's fly there and sit down with them and see if we can help them. We can get in between us and see if we can help save their marriage. She said, that's a great plan. So Boudreaux Jr. calls Boudreaux and he says, dad, we're coming home. Me and my sister, we are, we're catching the next flight there, and we're going to sit down with y'all. We got to solve this. Boudreaux said, I'm telling you, I'm done. But if that's what you want to do, you come on and do it. So as soon as they get off the phone, Boudreaux goes to Marais and says, I got good news. The kids are coming home for Christmas, and it's not going to cost us a thing. Come on, that's good. You got to remember, that's good. How many of you grandparents, and I say that on purpose, can relate to that? Because here's the truth. You really don't care if the kids come home. You just want them to bring the grandkids. You just want them to bring the grandkids. So anyway, the whole point of that story is somebody's good news is someone else's bad news. Somebody's good news is someone else's bad news. As we continue in our series this morning, we're going to look at these two groups of people that were given the exact same news. Exact same news. But one, it caused their group to travel almost a thousand miles to see and to celebrate this news. For the other group, it caused them to fly off the handle in rage, to be deeply disturbed and deeply insecure about the news that they heard. So let's dive into our story. And we're continuing in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 2, the, the beginning, the story of Jesus coming to the earth, this gift. It says this, verse 1, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Beautiful story. Beautiful moment in, in the, the telling of the gospel story in the book of Matthew. 
But I want to do something a little different. I want to ruin some things for you this morning. Because when you hear that story, more than likely, there's a few things that you think about. For some of you, you think of this very popular, famous Christmas carol that's called, well, I don't know if it's called this, but it goes along the lines of We Three Kings. And it says, We three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts we traverse afar, field and mountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. Beautiful song, except it's completely wrong. For others, you picture the nativity scene. And that you may think of a billboard with it. You may have seen movies that, that depict the nativity scene. Or some of you think about what you have in your living room or in your front yard. Right? This picture of the nativity scene. Here is the problem. In that, in that scene that we typically see, we have the shepherds. We have Jesus and Mary and Jesus and the animals. And we have the three wise men or the three kings. Here's the problem. The Bible never says there were three of them. The Bible never says that there were three of them. That was something that was adopted later on in history based on the fact that there were three gifts given because they gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so we think, well, we've adopted that, that thought that there were three different people who came bearing three different gifts. We've even given them names that the Bible never gives. I'm of the opinion that there were much more than three of them that came. Because as we're going to see in this story, them coming caused quite the stir in Jerusalem. I don't think there were three men on camels with a box behind them. I think there was a whole entourage of men that came that so disturbed the city because of what they were looking for. So again, there weren't three of them. And Contrary to what the song says, they weren't, they weren't kings. They were not kings. The Bible doesn't say that. They were wise men or magi. Everybody say magi. magi. Now, magi, if you're wondering what a magi is, is where we get the word magic from. And according to a guy who I often listen to that helps me with, with understanding the, the, the text of Scripture, a guy named Skip Heitzig, he said that we, the word magistrate also comes from the word magi. So you have magic and magistrates, they all come from this, this term magi. Well, what was a magi? A magi was a spiritual advisor to kings. Magis were these wise people who would come alongside of kings and would give them counsel and give them wisdom and give them direction, but they were these mystical type figures as well. They would interpret dreams. They would read the stars. They would do these things and give wisdom and direction to kings that were leading nations. That's what a magi was. And, and magi were so important that they've gotten to the point where you could not become a king unless the magi signed off on it. So they weren't kings. Essentially, they were king makers. They were the ones going, okay, this will be the next king. That's how important and powerful these men were. Now, another thing, we three kings of Orient are, they weren't from, we, they weren't from the Orient the way we think of the Orient. We think Oriental people, we think Asian people. They came from the East, 
but the east that they came from was Persia. These magi were spiritual advisors, if you will, in the, the Persian, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Medes and the Persians. That's where they were, these advisors to these kings, and they were highly thought of. Now, if any of this sounds familiar to you, it should, because there's an entire book in the Bible that talks about a man that was one of these, and his name was Daniel. Daniel was the spiritual advisor to the king of Babylon, and he was the spiritual advisor to the kings of the Medes and the Persians. And God has so used him to interpret the dreams of kings and to give wisdom and direction and be able to be the, the voice of God to these men that they were, he was exalted within multiple rules of kings. And if you read the book of Daniel, he talked a lot about the future kingdoms that would come and this one kingdom that would come that would be greater than them all that would take over the whole earth. And of course, he was talking about the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God. So it's said that these magi were descendants of Daniel, not physically, but they were in the same order as Daniel. They were in this group of magi, these kingmakers, these wise men, these spiritual advisors. So the reason they even knew about this king of the Jews that was coming was because of the prophecies of Daniel. Are y'all tracking with me? I love hearing this stuff. And I'll tell you something else I love, that they came and they worshiped. They came looking for the newly born king of the Jews. Here's the thing. It didn't say the newborn that would become the king of the Jews. He was born the king of the Jews. He was born the king. Now, as amazing as that is, and them bringing this big entourage and showing up to do this, there was a, a, a problem. Now, before I get to the problem, let me just say this. One more thing that I want to mess up for you. Can I mess this up for you? Okay, this is what I've learned from my pastor. My job is to set the bait. Your job is to take the bait. <laughs> Can I mess something else up for y'all? We normally see, again, those wise men in the manger with the baby. Here's the problem. They showed up after that. Could have been days, could have been weeks, could have been months. Jesus could have been over a year old by the time they showed up. We don't know, but it was not in that moment. How do I know? The Bible actually tells us that. In verse 10, this is what it says. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy, and they entered the what? The house. By this point, they weren't in a manger anymore. They were in a house raising Jesus. So, I say all of that to say, burn your nativity scene. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Listen, if you have a nativity scene, keep it. It's awesome because the goal is to honor Jesus, not to be so accurate and rigid to those things. But I just want you to know and understand what was actually happening in this story. So we see these wise men, these magi showing up unannounced in Jerusalem, this big entourage to worship the king of the Jews. Here's that problem that I was referencing early. There was, earlier, there was already a person by the name of the king, or calling himself, or being given the title, the king of the Jews. That was literally his title. And that was a man named Herod. And this is what the Bible says in the very next verse, in verse 3. 
It says, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. This, this was a stir. Does this sound like there were just three guys on a camel? No, they were stirred up because something big was happening. Now, if you're wondering about Herod and who Herod is, because he's all throughout the Gospels, but he's also in Acts, and it seems like, wait a minute, I thought Herod died. How is he here? Okay, that term Herod, that name Herod, was not one person. It was a, a dynasty of people. It was a family line of people, kind of like Caesar. It began with Julius Caesar, and then that became, they created the line of the Caesars that ran Rome. The Herods were like that. It was this very dysfunctional line of kings that ruled over Judea and other parts. So this Herod, I don't want you to get confused about that. This Herod, the very first Herod, was called Herod the Great. And that's who we're talking about in the story. And I know I'm giving you background, but I want you guys to understand this. This was Herod the Great. That's what he was known as. And we're going to see this great man, quote unquote, that portrayed this greatness. He got deeply, deeply disturbed and was very insecure about all that was happening. And he was given this king of the Jews status as a favor from Rome to be the king over these Jewish people. And here's the problem. He wasn't even a Jewish man himself. He was an Edomite. And in other words, he was a descendant of Esau. How many of you remember the story of Jacob and Esau in the Bible? Right? He was, Jacob had his sons and they became Israel. And then Esau had his sons. They were called the Edomites. He was kind of a loose cousin to Israel, but he wasn't even really a Jew. But yet he was given this title, the king of the Jews. And he, though he had done a big favor for the Jewish people, and here's the big favor, the big temple that they worshiped God at in the time of Jesus, the big temple that Jesus was there, and he said, listen, in three days you're going to destroy this temple. Not talking about the physical, talking about his body, but that they thought that they was their sacred cow, if you will. Herod built that temple. Herod started building that temple 16 years before Jesus was even born. And it took so long to finish that temple, it said that they were still putting the finishing touches on the temple when it was destroyed in 70 AD. 40 plus years, or almost 40 years, excuse me, after Jesus had died on the cross, risen from the dead, and arose back into heaven. That's how long it took to finish this temple. And so this was a big deal to the Jewish people. This Herod, this quote-unquote Herod the Great, is the one who did that. So he's doing all of these things to, more than likely to cater the favor of the people, to get them to think that he is something great, that he is somebody special, that he is their king. Yet when he heard about Jesus, he got deeply, deeply insecure. Now let me pause for a moment. Are there people like that in your life? And this is what I mean. People that they're fine, they are great, as long as no one else is getting any attention. They're good to go. They don't mind you. They don't even mind you serving God. Just as long as you serving God doesn't negatively affect them. 
I don't mind. Go worship Jesus. Be devoted to Jesus. Just as long as your devotion to Jesus doesn't mess with your devotion to me. That's the insecurity that that we see this man Herod having. It's fine. Yeah, do your thing. Do you? Do you, I'll, I'll even build you a temple. I'll take care of you. But the moment that you put somebody ahead of me, we now have a problem. And it's people like that in our lives. This man was deeply insecure. History tells us, as a matter of fact, that one he had one of his wives killed, and. It also tells us that he'd had two of his sons killed because they were threatening his throne. And, and it's been said that it was safer to be a pig in his court than to be his son. He was so insecure that, again, on his deathbed, I'm giving you guys this because I'm trying to paint a picture for you. On his deathbed, he had noble men from Jerusalem brought in, put in prison because... He knew no one would grieve for him when he died. So he gave the edict, he gave the command that when he dies, the moment he dies, those noble men were to be put to death because at least then they'd be crying in the streets of Jerusalem when he died. That's how deeply controlling and insecure this man really was. Yet this was the man who had the title king of the Jews. Verse 4. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem of Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, he's quoting Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. So Herod's disturbed, and he's like, okay, let me call these religious leaders together. Where's this quote-unquote Messiah supposed to come from? And they say, well, clearly the, the Old Testament tells us that he's supposed to come from Bethlehem. This is one of the many prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his lifetime being with us. So I'll talk about that in another message, just how, how amazing the fulfillment of all of those promises were. But as a side note, Because we're talking about how insecure this man was, don't let someone else's insecurity ruin your Christmas. Don't let somebody else's need for your attention, your approval, your worship, don't let them dictate and taint for you what this season is really all about. Here's what I mean by that. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Remember what this season is really all about. It's not so that you can impress everybody with how much money you spent on them. It is not so that you can feel the pressure of being at this person's party and in this person's house and in this person's party and I got to go here and I got and I to make sure everybody. And before you know it, you fail to really worship Jesus in the season because you've been so busy worshiping everybody else. You've been so busy catering to everyone else's insecurity that you can't really give the proper perspective, the proper praise to the one whom is due. It's just a side note for you, but it's a very, very important part of this season that I hope you get. There are people in this room who are willing to go in debt for the next six months of the year trying to please people. It, that is not what Christmas is all about. It's not what it's all about. 
It is so that we can have joyful hearts and remember our king coming into the world as a humble child to save all of humanity. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. (laughs) That man, that child grew up and became a man. That man built a kingdom. That king died on a cross, rose again from the dead, and ascended into heaven. That's what we're celebrating. I want you to keep that in perspective. It can sound cliche that Jesus is the reason for the season. Even those cliches, somehow we still forget it. Somehow we still put that out of our minds and don't properly focus on what Christmas is all about. I was literally, I was praying this morning. I was thinking to myself, God, am I really worshiping and celebrating you right? Am I embracing this season for what it really is? And I want all of us to have that in our minds. Are we embracing what the season is really all about? Or are we falling prey to the commercialism of it all? We were watching a movie last night. And I'll just confess to you, it was a Hallmark movie. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Worse. It was a Lifetime movie. Worse. I can't remember the last Lifetime movie that I saw. But it was a Christmas Lifetime movie, right? And so <laughs> we're watching this movie. We're watching this movie. There's so many things I can say. And we're watching this movie. And I mean, there's a church and there's a girl singing in the choir. And I mean, it's, it's like, it seems like it's going to be a good movie. And it really was a pretty good movie up until one part that completely ruined the movie for me. There... The choir is there, and they're singing, and they're singing, go tell it on the mountain. And they're saying, go tell it on the mountain. And they say, that he is born. And I thought to myself, you've got to be kidding me. You have a Christmas movie with a church and a choir, and you refuse to acknowledge who this is all about? You refuse to even say his name in your movie? But then I thought to myself, what kind of brought me some solace is whether you want to or not, you already have. What do I mean by that? It's a Christ mass movie. You can't get away from him as much as you try. As much as you try, you can't get away from him. What would be the best news that all of humanity has ever heard? God came in the form of a child to save us. The greatest news the world ever heard, this man, Herod, wanted to destroy it. Let's just move Jesus out the way. Let's let's just get Jesus out the picture. And As much as we can fault him for that, and we should, here's the thing. I want you to see we're guilty of the same thing sometimes. This is what I mean by that. Sure, you've never killed a baby boys in Bethlehem, but I tell you what he was really doing, what he was really doing is trying to control things so that he could have them his way. That's what he was ultimately trying to do. He was allowing his fear 
to cause him to control situations, to control the narrative so that this Jesus would not threaten him having things his way. How many times have we done that? We try to push Jesus aside because his will and our will at the time don't line up. So the best thing to do is to try to put him out of the picture, which is why, listen, I can expose it in a movie and us clap and be excited, but we do the same thing. We try to remove him from the store. We try to remove him from the narrative of our life. Our will versus his will. We choose our will instead of his, meaning we push him out the picture because we want things our way. We do the same thing. Fear causes us to try to control it. What do I mean by fear? Sometimes when God is putting you in a place where you have to trust him and you don't see him doing what you think he should be doing, you try to control things. You try to make things happen. You try to manipulate. And, and I'll tell you, I remember for years of my life, I, would be, I used to be consumed by what other people thought. And I would try to do things to get them to think a certain way. First of all, who do you think you are to control what someone else thinks in their head? I remember hearing Pastor Mike Mele say this. He says, what other people think about you is none of your business. What other people think about you is none of your business. You cannot control what they think. What you can do is obey and honor God. That's what you can do. When there are two plans at work, God's plan and your plan, when those two things conflict, you have a choice to make. The same way that Herod had a choice to make and these magi had a choice to make. This is what the rest of the story says. Verse 9, after this interview, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they, they were filled with joy. Which as a side note, nobody knows exactly what that star was. You can go online right now and watch any documentary on Amazon Prime or Netflix that you want to. None of us know. But what we do know is that star stopped right where it would show them where Jesus was born or excuse me, where Jesus was at the time. And so we see this. They stopped. They're excited. These wise men, they've been on this long journey. They've traveled almost a 1,000 miles just to finally get to this moment. And they finally see Jesus, and this is what happens. I want you to see this, because herein lies the difference between Herod and these great men. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. What a beautiful moment. But again, I want to compare, I want to contrast these two, these two responses to the same news. The exact same news. We will look at these these gifts another time. We'll get to that another time. But one person, their insecurity caused them to try and control the situation, to push Jesus out of the story. This other group, at the very sight of Jesus, this is what they did. They bowed down and they worshiped. 
Keep in mind, these were king makers. These were, this was the power behind the thrones. These were influential men, yet at the sight of the true king, they bowed down and they worshiped. Church, what's your response? What's your response in this season? Can one of these groups was led by a man who was so afraid that Jesus was going to cost him something, yet the other group came with something costly to lay at his feet. One group was afraid, excuse me, one, yeah, one group was afraid of what, of, of so afraid of Jesus that they resisted him. They rose up against him. The other group who recognized who he really was and what he was doing, they fell down and they worshiped him. Pastor, where are you going with this? When the gift comes, when Jesus comes into our lives, you have one of two choices. Stand up, rebel against him, or bow down and worship him. That's your two responses. There is no middle ground. When Jesus came, he forces a decision to be made. You are for me or you are against me. And when he came, the king of the Jews, quote unquote, rose up against him. And it took these Gentiles from almost a thousand miles away to come and give us a model and a picture of how to respond to him from the very beginning, to bow down and to worship him. This is, this is our choice in this season. Maybe things aren't going your way this Christmas season. Maybe things aren't happening in the way that you thought. Maybe there's some disappointments in life. Maybe there's some frustrations in life. You may even be mad at God. But can I tell you the proper response in this season? As a pastor, I, I, I feel the burden to tend to those who are hurting and going through rough things in this season. As a pastor, I feel that. But can I just give you the hard, honest truth? This season is not about you. Christmas is not about you. It's about us worshiping and honoring the fact that God came in the flesh for us, to save us, to rescue us. And he and he alone is worthy of our worship in this time. He and he alone is worthy for us to sing those praises to, to exalt him because it's not about us, it's about him. And when we recognize that, we recognize our need for him. And when we recognize our need for him, we can show gratitude because he's there for us. We recognize that we have all that we need because Emmanuel, God with us, came for us to save us, to rescue us. So we have a choice to make. You can keep your eyes on your problems and keep your eyes on trying to get things your way and keep your eyes on, I gotta manipulate this situation, manipulate this person and make them think this. And, or you can humble yourself and say, Lord, thank you for coming. I needed you then, I still need you now. I needed you the moment you saved me, I'm still desperate for you now. Thank you for coming into the world. This is, always has been, 
is currently and always will be all about you, Jesus. All about you. And even when it costs me something, I'll worship you. Let me teach you something about real praise, real worship. It does cost you something. It's not just singing songs. I'll tell you when it costs you something, when you don't feel like giving it. I'll tell you when it costs you something, when circumstances in your life are telling you that God's not for me, God's not with me, where is God? I'm angry. I don't feel like lifting my hands. I don't feel like getting on my knees. I don't feel like singing these songs. In those moments, that's a costly praise. It's a costly worship because you're putting yourself aside to worship the one who ultimately has you in the palm of his hand. That's real worship. So I encourage you to not be Herod in this season. I encourage you to be this, these magi. I know it sounds cheesy, but it is true. Wise men still seek him. Wise men still bow down and worship him. That's our call. So this season, this season can be good news, worship and recognition for our need for him, coming humbly to him, or it's a threat to us in our way because God wants me to do something his way. Yeah, he does because he knows better than you. And some of us, it's in our pain that he meets us. It's in our hardship that he meets us when we get our attention off of it and get our attention onto him. So I'll leave you with these last three things. Number one, humble yourself. Humble yourself and worship him. Number two, give him your best. Give him with a gift that's worthy of a king. What do you give a king who has everything? You just give him you. You give him you. And then lastly, worship him. Don't be distracted by, this is what Christmas is about. This is gonna be, I got this and I got It's about Jesus. Let me pray for you this morning. Jesus, this is all about you. And Lord, I pray that you forgive even us for what we've made it in our own hearts. I'm not talking about culture. I can't repent for culture. But Lord, we can repent for our hearts. This is a season to adore you, to thank you, to worship you, to fall down and honor you. And I pray that that's exactly what we would do from our hearts. Lord, sure, there are things in our lives that are not going our way. There are many things for us to put our eyes on to bring discouragement. But Lord, we put our eyes on you because you are where our help comes from. You are the source of everything that we have need of. Jesus, we need you. So we say thank you for being God with us, for being Emmanuel. If you're here this morning, and even as I say that, God with us, in some form, you believe God is with you because he's everywhere. But in a very real sense, you know he's not with you because you're not one of his. This is what I mean. Jesus once told a religious leader, you cannot enter my kingdom, which is his rule, his reign, 
His people are those who have followed him. Jesus said, you can't enter this kingdom unless you're first born again. Pastor, what is that? Born again is exactly how it sounds. The old you dies and a new person, a new creation is reborn into the earth. He does that. He washes us clean of our sin. He puts his spirit inside of us. He makes us a new creation. If that's you, I want to pray for you this morning. I want to give you the opportunity to meet Jesus this morning. I want to give you the opportunity to become a part of his spiritual family, his kingdom. And you do this it's in a very simple process, as simple as ABC. You A, admit that you're a sinner. You admit your sin. You admit your, your guilt. You admit the things that you've done that there's not mistakes and it's not just habits. It's sin that separated you from a righteous, holy God. You admit that. That takes humility. But then B, you believe. Believe that the solution to that sin problem is what Jesus did when he came into the world, when he died on the cross. He came to pay the price for your sin, every one of them. And then see you confess. You confess that he is now Lord. That that baby became a man who died, who rose again, and on the third day rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven. You confess that he is now Lord of your life and that you're going to follow him. So with no one looking around, if this is you and you say, Pastor, that's me, I want to be born again today. I want to be a part of that kingdom. I want to acknowledge who I'm praying for and I'm going to lead you in this prayer and I'm going to ask you to pray these words with me. It's not these words that save you, but it is the confession and the belief that he is who he said he is and your commitment to follow him. But first, I want to know who I'm praying with. So lift up your hand if that's you on the count of three. One, two, three. If that's you, lift it up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. I see your hand back there. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. I see your hand back there. Anyone else? Keep it up high. Keep it up high. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand back there. If you lifted your hand, look up at me for just a moment. Just you. I want you to remember this moment. Let this be the line in the sand that from this moment on, you belong to him. Your life will never be the same. Never be the same. You can close your eyes. And our church, I want you to pray this prayer out loud with all of us as we pray this prayer of surrender. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe on the cross you died for my sin for my guilt and for my shame. I believe you faced hell so I would not have to. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on this earth, and a relationship with God the Father. I turn away from my sin. I repent of it. And I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, God, you're my Father. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, come on, let's celebrate with every person that prayed that prayer.
I want you to stand to your feet. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. Did y'all enjoy being in God's house today? I'm going to do something in this moment I don't normally do before I close in prayer, but I just sense to do this by the Holy Spirit. I don't know who you are, sir, back there with the gray jacket on, right next to the lady with blonde hair. Yeah, that's you. God dearly loves you. I just sensed that when I was praying for everyone. He dearly loves you, and he is after you, wholeheartedly after all that is of you. And in the next season of your life, you're going to see his hand deeply at work. He's had a plan for you, some of which you've sensed and known. He's going to start to reveal it to you, but he loves you dearly. And that's why he's doing what he's doing. Let me pray for you, church. Lord, I thank you. Bless your people today. I pray you would make your face shine on them. I pray you bless them and they're going out and they're coming in. God, I pray you make your face shine on them. And Lord, you would give them peace. You would give them grace. And Lord, I pray that as a church, we would be a pure church who walks in the fear of the Lord. We would be a powerful church who walks in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we would be a persistent church even in the face of challenges. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, amen. If you need prayer, our prayer partners will be up front. I saw Satan fall like light.